What if I told you I had a trip for two to Paris and I was giving away two tickets to Paris? Now, maybe you've been to Paris. Maybe you would have realistic expectations of what that would be like. I've just seen the romanticized version on commercials or movies, so I just imagine this sleek, state-of-the-art jet flying there and Tomorrow morning, I wake up in my hotel room, and there's the Eiffel Tower, and I'm eating crepes, and people are speaking in this really cool-sounding language, and there's like a carafe of fresh fruit juice right there, and it just feels like love is in the air. You know what I mean? What if I told you there are actually tickets to Paris, Texas? Did you know that's a real place? (laughs) Hey, forget this sleek, state-of-the-art jet. You're in the back of an F-150. That's how you're getting there, right? I mean, it might sound like a different language, but it's actually English these guys are speaking. And uh, no carafe of fresh fruit juice. No, but there's Tab or Dr. Pepper 24-7, right? Same name, radically different destinations. You know, there's a lot of people who think they're going to heaven. A lot of people who think they're worshiping God. A lot of people who think they know who Jesus is, and they are going to find themselves in a radically different destination than where they think they're going. Grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 14. And we're going to look at one of the most critical and controversial statements that Jesus ever makes. One of the most famous statements in all of Scripture is where we're at in John chapter 14. This is page 901, if you got one of our Bibles. And we have been studying through the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples. We've just started this study over the last couple of months. This is our sixth time, and we're just working our way, starting in John 13, verse 1, and we've just been going on from there. And it started out great that Jesus loves us. And he, he showed that love when he washed the disciples' feet. But then this dinner has taken a turn for the worse. Like Judas has gone out into the darkness, and he's on his way to betray Jesus. Jesus has, says that Peter, the most vocal and supportive of all the disciples, is going to deny him three times before the rooster crows. And then Jesus has said the worst thing to the disciples, that he is going to leave them. And so by the time we get to chapter 14, their hearts are troubled. And he tries to comfort them. And he says, hey, if I'm leaving, that's because I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come and get you and I'll take you to my father's house. And then he says this in John chapter 14, verse 4. Follow along with me as I read all the way to verse 11, our text this morning, John chapter 14, verse 4. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Here we have one of the statements that Jesus makes, and it's an exclusive claim that he is the one way of salvation. Look back at verse 6 with me where Jesus says, in response to Thomas's question, well, what is the way? How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. In fact, no one is going to get to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Let's flip that around. Everyone who gets to the Father must go through Jesus Christ. He is the one way that any human being has any hope of being saved is by faith in Jesus. Anybody still want to say amen to that anymore? Do we believe that here at this church? That every other way that says heaven, that says God, any other path or road that's claiming to get you spiritual life, if it's not Jesus Christ, it is not the way to the Father. It's not the way to heaven. Go to Acts chapter 4. This isn't just one passage that the Bible makes this claim. Peter repeats it boldly here in Acts chapter 4. In fact, Peter is on, this is just 11 pages over, page 912 in our Bible. And Peter is actually on trial with the same religious leaders who had Jesus killed. The same men who conspired to have Jesus crucified. Now Peter is standing on trial before those same men. And look what Peter says. Start with me in verse 10 of Acts chapter 4. He says boldly, and he wants everybody to know it, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, the whole country, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So Peter and John had done a miracle to heal a crippled man, and now they were on trial for it, and they're like, how did you do this? And he says, let it be known that we did this by the name of Jesus, and you guys killed him, but God raised him from the dead. He starts preaching the gospel. And then he says this in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He says it a couple of times there. He doesn't even have to say it. He could have just said by the name of Jesus. But now he's going above and beyond to say there's salvation in no one else. No other name has the power to save anybody from their sins except the name of Jesus. It's an exclusive claim that there is one way to be saved and it's Jesus Christ. Now I think... There's a real temptation for us here as people who live in Orange County in 2016 to approach this passage or this idea with a lot of chronological snobbery because we think that we're the most advanced people that have ever lived in the history of planet Earth. Let's just remember that when Peter is saying this here in Acts 4, And he's reiterating what Jesus said at the Last Supper, that he's the one way to the Father, okay? He's refuting in this moment Judaism. 
He is refuting these religious leaders who think that by being Jews, maybe, or by doing their certain works, obeying the Old Testament law, they can have a relationship with God just by being good people and doing good things. They're going to enter into relationship with God. So he is defying the entire religious system of Judaism in that day and saying, if you want to get to the Father, there's only one name, and his name is Jesus Christ, and you killed him, and he's the one way to God. That's what he's saying. So from our perspective, when we preach this doctrine that we believe there is one way of salvation, see, well, people are like, but there's so many options and there's so many religions and that seems kind of uh, intolerant or that seems really kind of rude to say there's only one way to get there. Well, let's just remember that we're refuting Judaism at the time that Jesus and Peter are saying this and a lot of these other options have come up since the time that Jesus and Peter make these claims. Okay, Islam is after this saying it's another way to get to Allah in paradise. Cults, even more recently, things like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, these are all recent developments saying that they know who Jesus is and they'll tell you how to get to heaven. Hey, Jesus isn't the bad guy for saying that he's the way to salvation. These other guys are the bad guys for claiming they're a way of salvation. So let's not blame God or Jesus for false Christs who have risen up and said that they'll get you to heaven and they'll get you to God when they're lying. You can jot it down if you're taking notes. Matthew 24, verses 4 to 5, Jesus said, hey, there's going to be many who will say, I am the Christ. There's going to be many who will rise up and they'll promise you what only I can give you, which is a way to the Father. Do not be led astray, Jesus warns in Matthew 24, verses 4 to 5. So let's just remember that a lot of things that are saying uh, they're the way to be, atheistic worldview philosophies, religions like Islam or Mormonism, a lot of these ways, they have risen up since after the time of Jesus Christ. And so they are the ones that are confusing people, deceiving people, and leading people away. And let's not anybody leave here this morning accusing God of being some bad guy or some big meanie because he's only given us one way of salvation. Let's leave here this morning thankful that there is a way of salvation for sinners like us at all. Because why would a holy God in heaven want me and you to be with him forever, bringing our sin into his presence? It's amazing that there is a way that we could know God. And that God, there's one way because God gave us his one and only son. He offered his son for us to save us. See, God's not the bad guy in this story. God is the one who is reaching out by giving Jesus Christ his only son, whom he loved. He gives him as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can then be entered into a relationship with God. It's amazing that there's a way of salvation at all. And it's all because of the goodness and love of God. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And just in case anybody is going to be tempted to accuse God of not caring about people because Jesus is the one way. Everybody, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, page 991, if you got one of our books, because this is what we need to think about, about God. God our Savior, it says in 1 Timothy 2, 3. God our Savior, and then here's a verse I want everybody to know, 1 Timothy 2.4, hopefully you're familiar with it, but let's just get it in front of our eyeballs again here, uh, 1 Timothy 2.4, God our Savior who desires all people to be what? What does he desire from all people? To be everybody, 
all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, who is the way, the truth, the life? He wants everybody to be saved. He wants everyone to know Jesus. And then it says very clearly in verse 5, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for, who did he give himself a ransom for? Everybody, okay? So God's not limiting salvation in any way. God is the one who is opening up salvation to be possible for all people through Jesus Christ. And God's desire is that all people would be saved. Would God prefer to save people or judge people? Well, he desires all people to be saved. And you might even be familiar with the Greek word there for people. It's the word anthropos. And maybe somebody here has studied anthropology. And you know that is the study of mankind. That is the study of human beings. So when it says that God desires all people to be saved. We're talking about all people all over planet earth, every nation, every tribe, every tongue throughout all of human history. He wants them to be saved. And the way that they are saved is through Jesus Christ, the one way of salvation. So let us not leave here today thinking that's not fair. No, this is amazing that God is a saving God, that he's offered Jesus Christ and that Jesus has paid the ransom for all. The offer is on the table to every living soul on planet earth today that they could be saved by Jesus Christ and they could know the Father. They could have a relationship with him. This offer is for everyone. And we need to really think about this here at our church this morning. We need to really get this idea, write it down for point number one, that our mission is to everyone, okay? Our mission, the reason our church exists, the reason any church exists is we are supposed to tell everyone the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, this, is, this is what we're here to do. And we, let's just flip it around. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means everyone needs to know Jesus so they can go to heaven, so they can know the Father. And so our mission is to everyone. And so as Christians have thought through the exclusive claim of Jesus, that he's the one way of salvation. Here's what Christians have done throughout church history. They have decided that I need to tell people about Jesus. In fact, if they tell me not to tell people about Jesus, I will be willing to die to tell others about Jesus Christ. And throughout church history, there is a long tradition of Christians being killed, martyred for their witness of Jesus Christ. They're willing to die because they think it's so important for people to know Jesus. In fact, throughout, throughout church history and even in our lifetime, people, ordinary people like me and you, have sold all their belongings, sold their house, and they have moved across the world to another country where they don't even know the language because they think that this is maybe a people group that's been unreached and they don't even have the Bible in their language. And so they move in there with those people to learn their language so that they could tell them the good news of Jesus because they believe that's the only way for anybody to be saved and God wants everybody to be saved. So we gotta go find anywhere where they don't know about Jesus. And so people become missionaries and they move across the planet to tell people about Jesus Christ. This is the commitment of Christianity. Christians throughout church history, what's our commitment here today? Right now, this morning, there's going to be babies born in, in Muslim countries, okay? 
where Islam is not just the religion, but it is also the government of the country that they are born into. Do you know what happens when you are born into a Muslim country? On your ID, from that day forward, you are deemed to be a Muslim, and it is illegal to convert from Islam to Christianity in those countries. So you would have to break the law in many countries on planet Earth to become a Christian. In fact, if your family really believes the Quran and they really do what Islam tells them to do, they will kill you if, they can, if you convert to Christianity. Whose problem is that? Kids are being born today. Babies in Muslim countries are being born. They're being declared to be a Muslim, and if they ever convert to belief in Jesus Christ, it's illegal, and they could be killed for it. Whose problem is that? Right now, there's a young man growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the only Jesus he's ever heard of is the Mormon version of Jesus Christ. And he's at church this morning, but they're not studying the Bible. They're actually reading the Book of Mormon, which is, they say, another testament of Jesus Christ. Because they are the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the Book of Mormon tells about how Jesus, after he did what he did in the New Testament, do you know that Jesus actually came over here to the Americas? And he did many things here in the Americas. And did you know if you really study the Book of Mormon and you get deep enough into it, that Jesus actually started out as a man like us who became God? And if you do what the Book of Mormon tells you to do, you might someday be God of your own solar system? How many people are being brainwashed by Mormonism this morning, being told that that is their future? Whose problem is that? There's a young man who grew up going to church and his parents taught him the Bible and now he's going to UC Berkeley and they are systematically at that institution trying to talk that young man out of any belief in God, any belief in scripture, any belief that Jesus would be the one way of salvation and through science and through reason and logic and through the hope that we have in humanity, we are trying to convince that young man that there is no reason he should ever believe in the crutch of religion, when we know so much as human beings ourselves, and that he should be an atheist, a nun who does not believe in any religious affiliation. Whose problem is that? Babies are being born in Muslim countries. Young people are being, growing up being taught lies. Our secular universities are trying to brainwash our youth to not believe in God. Whose problem is it? It's my problem. It's your problem. It's Christian's problem that these people don't know the one way of Jesus Christ. And we are the people that God has on planet Earth to do something about it. What are we doing? What are we doing about lost souls all over the world who have not even heard that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? And that no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, we're about to enter a portion of the sermon that could be called as a rant. So I just need everybody to bear with me, all right? Can you guys just work with me here for a minute, okay? Because I'm about to share something that really bothers me, and I'm going to try to keep a smile on my face, and we'll try to keep it polite. But one thing that I hear happen, and I hear people say it, and then sometimes they even say it to me, is they look at somebody like me who's getting fired up about lost souls and wanting people to be saved, and they say, oh, see that guy up there? He's an evangelist. That's what they say about me. I get labeled as an evangelist. And other people at the church here that seem fired up about telling people about Jesus, well, that's because they're an evangelist. See, I just got to say right now, in front of everybody here at our church, I do not consider myself to be an evangelist at all. 
I don't, I don't think I'm worthy of that title by any stretch of the imagination. There is a kind of person who is described as an evangelist in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says there's apostles and there's prophets and there's evangelists and there's pastors, teachers. Okay? And then there's only one man in Scripture who's actually referred to as an evangelist. And you can read about him in the book of Acts. It's this guy named Philip, and he's referred to as Philip the evangelist. But I would not consider myself an evangelist. And let me just give you a visual demonstration of what I think an evangelist is. We've just had something exciting happen in Los Angeles here in Southern California. Football is back in Southern California. Anybody, anybody care about this, right? The Los Angeles Rams are back. Apparently 90,000 people cared to show up at their first home game here at the Coliseum. I mean, why someone would ever leave Los Angeles for St. Louis defies all logical reason, in my understanding. But after 20 years, the Rams have repented, and they have come back, (laughs) and here they are. And there's 90,000 screaming, shouting fans, football is back here in Los Angeles. Do you know what the record attendance is in the Coliseum, a place that's been the host to Olympics, a place that's had concerts, a place that's had sporting events of the highest caliber? Do you know what the record attendance is for this stadium? 1985 Billy Graham crusade, 134,000 people hearing the gospel of Jesus preached. That's what an evangelist looks like. I've actually paid money to go to the Billy Graham School of Evangelism because I'm a wannabe evangelist, okay? That's what an evangelist looks like. So let's stop right now calling Christian people who think it's their job to tell other people about Jesus evangelists, and let's just start calling them what they are, Christians, And I'm tired of people labeling me because I care about lost people as an evangelist so then we could somehow stand over here and be like, well, that's what the evangelists do. They tell people about Jesus and I'm just gonna sit over here unburdened by the lostness of the world, not caring that people are going to hell all around me and I'm gonna somehow feel comfortable telling no one about Jesus Christ. No, if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, you are called to share the good news, to acknowledge Jesus before men. Every single believer in Jesus is called to be someone who spreads the good news of Jesus. We all do the work of evangelism, if that's what we want to call it. So the idea that a Christian would not tell anybody else about Jesus is a new kind of Christian that we've made up here in America in our lifetime because in the New Testament, that would just defy any explanation. A Christian who doesn't want to tell the world that God wants to save them through his son, Jesus Christ, a Christian who doesn't want to share their testimony that they've been saved by Jesus and they know the Father, that you're not going to find that person in the Bible. So we shouldn't create a place for that person here at this church. See, if you know Jesus Christ, and you know he's the one way of salvation, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you're going to see that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and if you love Jesus and know Jesus, you're going to start seeing people as lost people, and you're going to care about people. And you're going to want to open your mouth. See, people act like, well, well, you're just an evangelist. You can do it. Like, and then they say things like, well, do you ever get nervous? I wake up nervous every Sunday morning you ever come to this church. 
I wake up feeling sick to my stomach. Every single time I go and knock on people's door, I feel it just gut-wrenching uncomfortability on the inside of my bowels. It's not about me being comfortable. It's about people being damned to hell if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. So yeah, I do talk to people about the gospel because what is the option if we don't talk to people? Is everybody tracking with me on this rant here? We are all called to spread the good news of Jesus. We gather together as a church to worship, to hear from God. And when we leave here, we go out in the name of Jesus to represent Jesus to the people around us. Every single one of us is called to do this. When I moved to Huntington Beach to plant this church, one thing I was told by multiple people is that there's a lot of churches in Huntington Beach, but they really need Jesus in Huntington Beach. That should not make sense. If there is a church of people who know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they worship together in a place, then radiating out from that place, like ripple effects when you throw a rock into the water, radiating out from here should be us going and telling everybody we possibly can that there is a way of salvation, that you can know God and be forgiven of your sin, and his name is Jesus. Like nobody should be able to know us without knowing that we know God through Jesus Christ. So I hope that you are one of the many, if we're going to call ourselves evangelists, well, I hope that we're all in that category. Because that's just what Christian people do. And so we are very intentional that we purposefully try to not just gather together as believers to study the Bible and grow in our love for God, but we want to go out as believers to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And so we've got our own ice cream truck here at this church. Does everybody know that we have an ice cream truck? Is this this familiar to everybody? Okay. And this truck is not just like some fun thing or, or a symbol. No, this truck is going out every week at least multiple times with the intention of we want to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, some of us meet here to do evangelism training, to learn what to say. And then at 10 o'clock, on, every Saturday morning, this is, we go out and we hand out free ice cream and we invite people to church. And sometimes we get in long conversations about the good news that Jesus could save them from their sin. And people go out every Tuesday night. They go to the farmer's market downtown. If you ever go to the farmer's market downtown on a Tuesday night, look around because lurking in the shadows, there will be the light of the gospel of Jesus handing out free ice cream to everyone who wants some. As we tell them to come to church, do you know that almost weekly, almost every week, someone comes to this church because somebody goes out, either knocks on their door or hands them free ice cream and invites them. They don't know them, but they just go up to them in public and invite them to the church almost every weekend. Somebody like that is showing up here at the church. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I got to hear about this lady who they met knocking on her door, and then they invited her over for dinner, and then somebody met with her at Starbucks, and they explained to her the gospel, repentance, and faith, and I get a text, and it's a picture of this lady holding up the paper where the gospel was just explained to her with a big smile on her face because she just believed in Jesus Christ. And now her and her husband, they're getting plugged into a fellowship group. They were here at our Saturday night service last night, and they are now starting to follow Jesus, and they don't just believe he is the way. He is the way they are actually starting to live because some people from this church went out to talk to him and invited him in and told him the good news. 
In other words, we're really trying to get the gospel out, and we're really intentional about this, is we want to get on the campuses, particularly of the high schools and the colleges. And we've got this thing going on at Ocean View High School that you need to know about and you need to pray about because God saved this young man, Ryan St. Pierre. And this guy is the ASB president at this high school. He is the leader of the cross-country team that is probably going to win league for the first time in two decades, everybody. They're the Seahawks at Ocean View, and he has started a Christian club on campus where he is preaching the gospel of Jesus, and it's just like ripple effect after ripple effect, person after person. These high schoolers, they show up at our church, they hear the gospel, they get plugged in, and they profess repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, after church, I get a text from our youth guy, Shane Rowland, salvation, all capital letters, exclamation points. I mean, the text just goes on and on. And it's another one from Ocean View. And I've seen this girl around our campus. She's been holding this book, exploring the gospel. And she comes up to me and she asks me, so tell me more about repentance. And I don't understand faith. And eventually her leaders are working with her. People are praying for her. And boom, right here at our church, we see God give her a new life. Something her family wasn't going to teach her about. Something she didn't grow up knowing about, but other kids at her school reach out to her and invite her and bring her in, and she learns the gospel of Jesus Christ, her way of salvation. How come the young people do a better job at this sometimes than we do? I mean, I was, I was tuckered out the other night. I was tired. I was, it was like 9 o'clock. I was like, I stick a fork in me status. You know what I mean? I'm done. I'm out of here. It has been too much church for me today. And people, it's like 9 o'clock. I'm shutting the place down. I'm turning off the lights. And people are showing up at church at 9 o'clock at night. And I'm like, what are you guys doing here, you know? And it's all these college guys showing up. It's like, what are you guys doing here? We're going to the library right now. What? I mean, these are guys that I don't picture darkening the door of a library. You know what I'm talking about? And we're going to Cal State Long Beach right now. Everybody's studying in the library. We're going to give them coffee. We're, we're going to tell them about Jesus Christ. It's like I'm going home and the night shift is coming in to do evangelism <laughs> here at the church. It's like, it's almost like everyone needs to know about Jesus. Everyone. This is the mission that we've been given. It's not to hunker down here with the people who already believe and to do church happily ever after. That's not the mission that Jesus gave us. This is what Jesus said. If you want to write down these references, in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says we're supposed to make disciples. That is taking people who are not following Jesus and making them followers of Jesus. We're supposed to make disciples of all, what does it say there, of all what? Nations. That's worldwide. That's global. Here's how it says it in Luke 24. This is the Great Commission, but different versions of it. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, the name of Jesus, to all nations. Everybody needs to hear to turn from their sin so they can be forgiven of their sin because Jesus died for their sin and rose again. How about Acts 1.8? Look at the way it says it here in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses. That's all we're asking anybody here to do. You're just telling other people what Jesus has done for you. If he's saved you, if you've believed in him, if he's turned you from your life of sin, given you a new life, you just share the story of what Jesus has done with you. 
witness, testify to others. You will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, the city they were in, and then in all Judea, the surrounding region of Israel, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So this is a worldwide, global vision that you and I are supposed to have that everyone, no matter what country, no matter what language, no matter where they are on the planet, everyone needs to know Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to take this like that's our mission as the church, as Christians. Now, praise the Lord, we've been doing church here for two years, and we've had uh, a blessed foundation as a church because we were planted by some godly men down there at Compass Bible Church, Aliso Viejo. They gave us an example. They gave us financial resources to start out. They, gave, they sent us up here with everything we needed to do church here in Huntington Beach. And I'm here to tell you some good news that ever since we started from our first Sunday until today, this church has been 100% financially self-supporting since day one here at this church. So praise the Lord for that. But let me just also point out that we are one of the richest counties on planet Earth. We are one of the few places where a two-year-old church plant could possibly even be financially self-supporting. What, what about all these counties out there where those people can't afford to support a church? They couldn't afford to pay a pastor's salary. What about all these third world situations? What about war-torn and disease-stricken? What about like Islamic oppressive societies where they don't want some church plant coming in? They're not going to be able to raise financial support. Doesn't it seem to make sense that one of the richest counties in the world should not only be able to support itself, but should perhaps be giving so much financially that we could come alongside of other churches in other countries in other nations and we could say, hey, we know how hard it is to going to be to start a church plant there. We know how hard it is to start a church, period. But especially where you're trying to do it with the resources you have, let us come alongside of you and let us give of you financial encouragement. Let us give of you prayer and let us support you to plant churches. Shouldn't we be probably helping church, churches plant all around the world? What if we were so fired up for the gospel, not only here at our church, but we gave so generously to the work here at this church that we could come alongside of church plants all over the world and help many more churches get started. You know, those guys in Compass Aliso, they made it very clear, we don't ever want you to pay us back. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to pay it forward. We want you to start more churches through your church. Man, are we up for that? Is our heart so burdened for lost people that we might never see somewhere else on another part of the planet, that we might look at things that we were saving up our money for, things that we were going to do for ourselves, and we might say, no, I would rather have that money go to support a church somewhere across the world so that more people could believe in Jesus Christ. Are we ready to make those kind of decisions? See, I've been talking to this guy that I've known for a long time, and he moved his family. He's a He's an American guy. I went to college with him, and he moved his family to Dubai. Have you ever heard of Dubai before? It's kind of like this happening city right there in the middle of this region that we call the 1040 window, okay? And this is like the most populated area of planet Earth. On planet Earth right now, there are, over, there are 500 cities that are over 1 million people. 500 cities 
over one million people. 300 of those cities are right here in this 1040 window. And so he moved to Dubai because it's this happening place right there in the middle. And he's trying to start a pastor training center where pastors from all these different countries are going to come and they're going to be trained there. And then they're going to go back to their countries so they can plant churches throughout this region. And he tells me, And I believe him. I think he's a trustworthy guy. He tells me that most, and I'm not sure what the number is, but over 50% of these 300 cities in the 1040 window that have over a million people in them, most of them don't have one church preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about cities, hundreds of cities, over a million people with no church preaching the gospel. Like, what are we willing to do about that? Is that our problem here at Compass HP? What are we willing to do? So I need everybody here to start praying that we could have enough finances here at this church that we could start supporting other churches across the planet, other church plants just like us. In fact, I've been asking this friend of mine if he could introduce me to possible church planters, and he already introduced me to this guy, Marwan. Marwan was born in Kuwait. And he had to flee Kuwait during the Iraq war long ago. And he ended up living actually in California. And he got married here in California. And then he went to Dubai to be trained to be a pastor. And now this guy Marwan wants to go plant a church in Beirut, Lebanon is what he wants to do. In fact, just in a few days, he and his family, remember he met his wife right here in Southern California, they're going to move to Beirut, Lebanon, and Marwan says the reason is because so many Christians have fled this city over the years that somebody needs to go back in there and tell everybody who's left the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Marwan thinks God wants him to do with his life because everybody in Beirut needs to know Jesus is the one way. And so I'm not sure if Marwan's going to be the guy, but we need to start praying for a guy like him who's planting a church that's doing the same work of preaching the gospel, repentance, and faith that we're doing, that we could come alongside and support him. And I, I, I watched a video with this guy, Marwan. I'm still getting to know him. But on his website, which you have to even have a password to get to his website, because you don't exactly want to let Lebanon know you're coming with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Right? You got I mean, it's password protected to get in. And he's like, could you pray for us? Could you give for us? Here's the money that we need. But then he says, hey, the real thing that you could do is move to Beirut and join us as we plant the church. And I'm like, I like this guy, Marwan, you know? We're going to start Beirut Bible Church. It's going to be an English-speaking church because there's no church speaking English, which apparently a lot of people there are, are speaking, but there's nobody preaching the gospel in English in this city. So he's going to go start it. Wouldn't that be amazing if we were so passionate for people to know the one way of Jesus that we hear rich, fat cats like us in Orange County, California, that we started to care about the souls of people in Beirut, Lebanon, and we wanted to do something about it? What if I could just call Marwan up out of the blue? Like he doesn't even know us out here in Huntington Beach. Hey, we're a church plan in Huntington Beach. We know what you're trying to do in Beirut. We would imagine it's going to be hard for you to be financially self-supporting there. We want to come alongside and support you. What do you think that would mean to a guy like Marwan and his family who are moving to Beirut? 
And how would we want to come alongside of Marwan? Would we want to say, hey, our church gave, gave some money, and Marwan, we want to buy you a computer so you can do ministry there in Beirut? Or do we want to come alongside of this guy and say, hey, Marwan, we hear what you're doing. We think it's awesome. We think it's exactly what we're doing, but we're rich over here in Orange County, so we want to help you. Hey, why don't you go buy a building in Beirut, and we want to pay for it? How do we want to come alongside of the guy? Like, do we live in a world that people think they're going to heaven, but they're not because they don't believe in Jesus Christ? And are we trying to do something about it? Does it bother us? We all need to be a part of the mission to make disciples on planet Earth. And so let me give you a few things to do under point number one. The first thing to do is let's, let's pray. Let's expand our prayers. Let's pray for God to save people here at our church and also across the world. Let's start praying for people in Dubai, for people in Beirut. We'll keep coming with more specific information, and we'll pray that God will guide us to the people that he wants us to partner with in other places. Pray for missions to start to happen, that we would be a church that's reaching the world through what's happening here in Huntington Beach. So that's step one, is let's all start praying. Step two is maybe some of us could give towards this. Let's put that down. Maybe you're even thinking, well, I don't know what I could do. I don't think I could move to Beirut. I don't think I can go tell people about Jesus with the ice cream truck. Well, maybe you could give. Maybe we got some people who are going here to the church who aren't giving anything to the church. Maybe this is the time for you to think, i got to start giving to support the work of the gospel ringing out. Because we just need to make it very clear that there is no such thing as free ice cream. Does everybody, does everybody understand that, right? Okay. We ain't growing ice cream on trees up in, up, in, up in Ryan Pierce's office, everybody. I mean, no. We're buying it from the store, and we're giving it away for free because we think it's worth it to bring people to the table. We don't expect that Ocean View High School students want to come and do Bible study at lunch and want to come and learn the gospel of Jesus. What we think they're looking for around lunchtime is free pizza. That's what we think they're looking for. And so we bring free pizza in, and we offer them free lunch, and then as they're sitting there stuffing their face with free pizza, we start to tell them that there's only one way to be saved, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we're willing to spend some money to get to the table with people. We'll always buy people a free meal if it'll give us a chance to share the gospel with them. And so we're trying to be careful. We have a board that oversees our budget, and we're trying to be very careful that the money that is given to God here at this church goes towards the gospel moving forward into the world to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ. And so we would love to see that happen in faraway places. We'd love to start a missions movement in, in the next year, but we need people to step up in, in our giving if that's going to happen. And then the third thing, this is really what I want everybody to do, is I want you to spread the gospel, if you would write that down. Spread the gospel. I want you to tell somebody that Jesus is the way to be saved, because I think this is what we all do. I think this anybody who knows Jesus and believes he is the one way feels compelled to tell other people. And if you don't know how to do it, man, look at the back of your handout, or we've got that one-way flyer in your bulletin there. Man, we're doing special services this Wednesday night and Thursday night. So if you're like, well, I don't know how to talk to people about the gospel, where we're doing special midweek church services. We're not doing fellowship groups this week. We're coming to special services because we want every single person who calls Compass Bible Church their church, we want to make sure that you know how to share the gospel with somebody. So we've got to try 
tract we've been developing that, not, that won't tell people the gospel for you, but you can use to help present the gospel to many people. So people are like, hey, how you doing with that third service on Saturday night? Are you getting tired? I ain't getting tired. I'm getting fired up. We're doing midweek services, everybody. I'm going to be here on Wednesday night or Thursday night. Two different messages. I'd love to have you here. We're going to talk about how to share the gospel, and it would be a great thing to bring somebody to because as we talk about sharing the gospel, they'll hear the gospel, and maybe they'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for their sin, that he rose again, and they'll be saved. That's our mission. We want to be reaching out. I hope you're a part of reaching out. It's our mission to get the gospel to everyone. Go back to John chapter 14. Everybody turn back there with me. Um, Because I want you to see what happens here in our text. I think after Jesus makes this statement that nobody gets to the Father except through him, I really think it's the turning point in in the Last Supper. I really think from here, the Last Supper kind of goes from the downer feel it was having with the disciples, and it totally kicks it up a notch from this point forward, all right? And, and I want you to see what happens after Jesus says, John 14, verse 6, he says, if you know me, you would, if you would have known me, you know my father also. Do you see that there in verse 7? If you had known me, you would have known my father also. In fact, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. To that, Philip says, kind of a question, a request here, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. You know, let's just back it up. Jesus just said, I'm the way. No one gets to the Father except through me. And then he said, just to clarify, if you know me, you know the Father. And right after he says that, Philip says, show us the Father. Time out, Philip. He just said, if you know me, you know the Father. Okay, this is where we need to get honest to church. There is such a thing as a stupid question. Can we all agree on this here? All right. Now, I would, if somebody's asking you a stupid question, I might just roll with it out of, out of politeness and kindness. But people ask things that are dumb. When we've already said the answer, and then you still ask the question, can we, can we agree here that that is what we would call an, a stupid question, all right? And you can kind of even see that a little bit in Jesus' response to Philip. Like, he doesn't say that it's dumb, but look at how he replies. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Like, hello, where have you been? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Woody, how can you say, show us the Father? Philip, are you even paying attention? I mean, both the things that Thomas says here. Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. You know the way to the Father's house. Thomas is like, uh, no, we don't know the way. And he's like, I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. Oh, great, Philip's over here. Show us the Father. Like, these guys are not really getting it, Okay. I mean, this, like, by the end of this night, Peter's going to deny Jesus three times, and all the other disciples are going to run and scatter, and it's everyone save yourself and flee for your lives when they arrest Jesus Christ. I mean, these disciples are pretty much acting like losers here at the Last Supper, if we're going to be honest. But yet in Acts 4, Peter's standing up in front of the people who killed Jesus, and he's telling them there's no other way of salvation except Jesus. And so on the night, this night, on the night before Jesus dies, Peter isn't even in the courtroom. He's out in the outer courts with the servants of all the religious leaders. And one of the slave ladies is like, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, I wasn't with Jesus. I don't even know what you're talking about. 
But then in Acts 4, he's the one on trial. He's in the courtroom with the guys who killed Jesus. And he's saying, we did this in Jesus' name, whom you killed, but God raised from the dead. And let me just make it clear to everyone who will ever listen to me that there's only one name that saves, and it's Jesus Christ. How do you go from loser to guy who's turning the world upside down like that? What happens to these disciples that makes them apostles who seem to go out and make disciples of all nations? How could this be? Go with me to Acts chapter 4, and let's get some of the clues of what the difference is between the disciples at the night of the Last Supper and then the disciples that, be, that we call apostles in the book of Acts. And before Peter gives his great response that there's no other way but Jesus, look what it says here in verse 7. When they put him on trial, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 7. And when they had set them, Peter and John, in the midst, they inquired, because they healed a crippled man, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, underline it, my friends, circle it, write it down on your notes. Then Peter, what does it say there? Filled with uh, who? Oh, man, big difference when the Holy Spirit shows up. Between the disciples, you can't even stick around to support Jesus when he's dying. And the apostles who cannot be silenced as they go and tell people. The Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 13. This is the response of the men who killed Jesus when Peter speaks to them. When they saw the boldness, that means boldness in the Bible, it means to speak freely. It says, when they saw Peter speaking freely, boldly, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, wait for it, uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized, wow, how could these guys speak like this? How could they speak with such authority? How could they speak with such faith? How could they speak with such boldness? Well, they recognized that they had been with who? Who did they know? See, there was a relationship with God that these men had, something they didn't fully understand. But when the Holy Spirit came, and, and, and something happened to these guys. And after they're released, they released them. The men who killed Jesus are so overwhelmed with Peter and John that they release them. They don't even do anything to them. And then look what they do. They immediately go to a prayer meeting. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Look at it with me. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And they said, listen to this prayer, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth? They set themselves, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed for truly. In this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, the threats of these religious leaders to keep silent about Jesus, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hands to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Common, uneducated people, people of little faith, 
people who betrayed Jesus and denied him. And now when they have the spirit through the power of prayer, now they are going out and speaking to the whole world in Jesus' name. We can be these kind of people here in Huntington Beach. We have the same spirit. We have the same power. Go back to John 14. And here's what we need to understand about the way. When Jesus is the way, Okay, believing that Jesus is the one way doesn't save you. Just knowing that out of all the religions of the world, Christianity is the true one, that God is real, the Bible is true, and Jesus is the Savior. Just knowing that Jesus is the way does not save anybody. You can check out of all the boxes for religious affiliation, you could check the Christianity box. That doesn't mean you have transferred your trust from yourself or anything else you might put your hope in and you have put your trust in Jesus to save you because you don't just believe that Jesus is the way, you take Jesus as the way to the Father. From the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you enter into a relationship with the Father in heaven. And so it's not just like we're believing some facts here. No, we're believing in Jesus. And when we do, we know God. Do you know God? People like us, people like me and you, ordinary, everyday people who know God. That's what the Bible's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. No, no one comes to the Father, but you do. When you come through me, you come to the Father. Philip, don't you get it? If you know me, if you believe in me, you know the Father. You enter into a relationship with him. Philip, haven't you gotten it by now? This is all about a relationship with God that you have when you believe in Jesus. And so that's what now, from this point on, from the rest of the Last Supper, it's just Jesus talking about our relationship that we have with God. That's what the whole rest of the thing is about. And this is a preview of what we're going to get into in the weeks to come. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. Look what it says here. Truly, truly, I say to you, and we know that Jesus says that when he's about to say something that's hard to believe, but he wants us to know it's true. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. What? Did Jesus just say that those who believe in him will end up doing greater works than he did? Let's read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. That's what he's saying, that the believers in me, they're going to do these great works. Even I mean, that's amazing. Look at the works that Jesus has done so far in the gospel of John, the miracles, the teachings, the people that have been saved. And now he's saying those who believe in him will do even greater things. How could that be? Well, look what he goes right into after that. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What is he tapping us into? What is this power that we have now? He's talking about prayer. See, Jesus is promising that his disciples were going to do greater works than him because they were going to know the Father. So let's get that down for point number two. The way that when Jesus says, I am the way, the way is to know the Father. That's where Jesus takes us, okay? If you believe in Jesus, then you have entered into relationship with the Father. What does that relationship look like in your life? It should be such a real thing 
that you know God, that people who know you, your family, your friends, people who get to know you, they follow you around, they see what your life is about, they should literally be able to see the fact that you know God in your life. It should be so, so real that it shows up in how you live. You know the Father. You have the power of God working in and through your life. And one way you tap into that power is prayer. Let's get that down for our first dash right there. Prayer. Here's a way that I know the Father. Jesus is interceding for us every single time that we pray. It says that sinners like us can go boldly into the throne room of heaven. We can go up to the throne of grace and we can find mercy to help in time of need because Jesus has opened up a way for us to go into the presence of God 24-7. And when we ask something in Jesus' name, when we pray according to who Jesus is, according to his desire to save people, and we ask Jesus to do that, it says, I will do it. When you pray in my name, I will answer you, Jesus promises. How are the disciples going to do greater works than Jesus? Well, one way he gets right into is the power of prayer that they have, bringing heaven down, God making things on earth as they are in heaven. Man, are we tapping into the power of prayer here at Compass HP? Do we think that we can ask God with his hand to reach down and save people here in Huntington Beach, Garden Grove, Fountain Valley, Westminster, and in Beirut, and in Dubai? Do we believe in the power of prayer? Then it goes on to say this. Look at verse 15. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper with a capital H to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be not just with you, but in you. So the second dash, you have the help of the Holy Spirit, okay? Here's something you got. Well, I'm not the kind of person who goes out and talks to people. I'm not the kind of person who's like bold out in public. Well, guess what? You have the spirit of the living God in you. It says here he is the helper, he is the power, he is the energy, he is the spirit of truth. He will teach you what the Bible says, and he will speak through you to say what the Bible says to other people. He is the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that you have the spirit of the living God inside of you this morning? You think the spirit of the living God might do something? You think he might cause you to move away from sin in your life? Do you think the Holy Spirit might actually make you more holy in your life? You think he's going to just, the spirit of the living God is going to indwell you and he's not going to start speaking through you to other people the truth of there's one way of salvation in Jesus Christ. You think you could somehow silence the spirit of the living God inside of you? I mean, if you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got prayer, man, you are tapping in to a power that common, uneducated people like me and you can flip this world upside down in the name of Jesus. That's what's going on. That's what Jesus is talking about. Like the way is actually taking us somewhere to God. And now God indwells us. And now God hears us. And then it says this. Look at verse 23. This is one of the most precious verses to me. It says, and Jesus answered him. Another interesting question from Judas, not Iscariot, another disciple opening his mouth. By, the, by chapter 15 and 16, they just pretty much stopped talking because, uh, because they started to get the point at that, at that time. But verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, this is the Father and Jesus, will come to him and make our, look what it says there, at our home with him. 
Like this started with Jesus saying, in my father's house, I'm going to make a home for you and I'll come back and get you. But now he's saying that you're going to know the father in such a profound way that the father and I, Jesus says, will come to you and we will make a home with you, that you will experience the presence of the Father and the Son in this life. You will know what it's like to know God now. You will be third dash at home. That's what you will be. You will have moments in your life where you are aware that God is with you. And you will spend time with him in the secret place where it is just you and the Lord. You will never walk alone because of this relationship that you have with the Father. And I am so concerned that this church right here, that us, we could start doing what I think a lot of church people do, is we could just start going through the years and coming in here and doing services and just kind of stacking on good days at church after each other while the whole world's going to hell out there, but we're still having good time here at church. And I'm concerned we can turn Christianity into things to do. You know, reading the Bible becomes a thing to do. Prayer becomes literally like a checklist. Have I prayed for all these people? Check it off. Going to church. All right, got that. What am I going to do the rest of the day? And we turn what's supposed to be a relationship with the Father, and we make it somehow a list of things to do, and we try to turn a relationship into a religion. And I don't want to do that here at this church. I don't want to be a bunch of people who just come together and have good days at church. No, good days at church lead to people who know God intimately. Are you one of those people? See, I'm even concerned. Like, when we talk about prayer, people are going to be like, oh, here's a prayer sermon. Or when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's going to be like, oh, here's the Holy Spirit. No, they're all one thing. It's all one endless thing. You knowing God is what it's all about, every single one of them. From here on out, it's going to be all about your relationship with God. That's what we're here to talk about. And if you really know God and you have the spirit of the living God inside of you and you're praying to God and asking him to save people, how in the world is God not going to work through you to speak to somebody about Jesus Christ? Like how could someone know God and tell no one about it? Throw me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One passage to end with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want us all to read this passage together because I think it's so important that we don't have two categories of people here at church where there's Christians and, and then there's evangelists or there's Christians and then there's people who really know God. No, to be a Christian person, to believe in Jesus as the way means you know the Father and you tell other people the way. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18, okay? We're not, we're not saying that we should believe in Jesus so we can know God. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is God, because he wanted us to know him, sent Jesus. It starts with God. God sent Jesus. And then we believe, and then we know the Father. But God started it by providing a way, by sending Jesus to us. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. We were separated, we were apart from God, but then he reconciled us to himself. And everybody that he reconciled to himself, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself 
not counting their trespasses against them, though he's ready to forgive people of their sins, and he's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you, we beg you, we plead with you on behalf of Jesus, be reconciled to God. Who does it say there in that verse are the ambassadors? Who does it say are the ambassadors for Christ? Anybody want to answer? Who does it say? Not, not Billy Graham. Not the pastor. Not that really fired up guy, Frank, in the back row. That's not who we're talking about. It says you are, we are, us. Here, this is who we are. We are the official representatives of heaven on earth because we know the Father. And we want every single person, not just everyone we know, but everyone to know God. We are the, God is making his appeal to the world right now through us. People all around the world, they think they're on a trip to Paris, France, and they're going to Paris, Texas. They think they're on their way to heaven, and they are going to end up in hell. Whose problem is it? Whose problem is it? Is it? God, I pray that you would make it here at our church that this would be our problem and that we would embrace the mission that you have given to us to make disciples of all nations, that everyone needs to know repentance and forgiveness of sins only happens through Jesus. And we are to be the witnesses starting here in Huntington Beach, but we are to be witnesses across the world in the name of Jesus. So God, we pray that we would not just be a church that's doing church on Sunday morning and then moving on with the rest of our lives. Know that you would be our life, that Jesus would be our way to know you, that he would be the truth that we live by, that he would be the life, the eternal life that we have to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God, make every single person here someone who tells others the good news of Jesus. Make every single person here an ambassador in the name of Jesus Christ. Speak through me, God. Speak through everybody here. Use common, uneducated people like us to flip this world upside down in the name of Jesus. God, forgive us for not caring for the lost souls of our fellow human beings. Forgive us for making Christianity a list of things to do rather than delighting in the fact that we know you, our Father in heaven. God, make us a church that says to the world, Jesus is the way, and we know all about it because we have taken Jesus as the way to you. God, we're asking you to do a work here in this church. Make us your ambassadors. Speak through us. And God, if there's someone who can hear my voice right now, and they've known Jesus is the way, but they haven't taken him as their way. They know that you're up there as the Father in heaven, but they don't know you as their Father. God, let today be the day that your hand reaches out and you grab them and you make them one of your own and give them faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.